0: Another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here joining me on the show. We've done some home and homes here with uh, Los Angeles Football Network, Ryan DiRude, one of my favorite people to follow. And guess what, Ryan? We got USC all over the place. So you cover the Rams, Chargers, USC, UCLA, and we have the top two picks coming from USC. So we're going to break down Jordan Addison, Makai Blackman. How are you doing, man?
1: Hey, man, I'm great. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, you're a great fall as well. Obviously, have you on our show and you do great. And I could be wrong here because i am just, you know, following through Twitter. But so if I'm incorrect, I apologize. But congrats on the, the book release. Did I see that right? You are right. Yes. Thank you. Congratulations. Huge accomplishment. Huge accomplishment.
0: I appreciate that. Uh, For everybody who hasn't heard yet, uh, football is a numbers game. Went kind of behind the scenes with pro football focus for about a year and a half reporting on where they came from, the, the grades everybody likes to debate, but so much more than that. What they do for NFL teams, how the business got started, what Chris Collinsworth does. And, uh, a lot more drama than I thought was actually going to happen. So there's your tease and you can go to Amazon. You brought it up, not me. I'm just saying, but you can go to Amazon search football is a numbers game and you can get it there. So thank you so much for that. Uh, how was it? It's funny. Cause we were talking just before and, uh, the Los Angeles Rams, I was like, well, they're always, you know, bleep them picks. And I didn't see you guys on uh, the first night of the draft. So they must've had no draft picks. Right. And then uh, you corrected me. There were 14 draft picks for the Rams. You guys must have been crazy busy.
1: Yeah. Very busy. They, they had the four team chargers had their standard seven. They always are just chalk one through seven. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, Matt, it's always a funny misconception. Cause I mean, I was on radio road in Phoenix and we're at the media party, talking with everyone. And, um, and everyone automatically is like, Oh, Rams, no picks, no picks. And I'm like, Just because they don't have a first-round pick doesn't mean they have no picks. Uh, They they started with 11, ended up trading back, I think, five different times to end up with 14. Um, The bulk of those, obviously, in sixth and seventh rounds. So I I know a lot of fans don't get excited about those, but that's kind of how the Rams have built their roster. And they added 26 undrafted free agents. So a total of 38 new players added on draft weekend, almost doubling what was on the roster. They had 45 going into the draft added 38 so they're they're getting close to that 90 finally but yeah busy weekend a lot of fun
0: yeah that is a lot of bios for you to read and uh to start to understand who these players yeah. are although my rule is with udfa is you got to make me learn your name uh in training camp if if you do then we got something there but if not um i'm not going to bother but uh, i i mean well just while we're on the subject though can we just talk about the rams for a second because it is a little bit of a misconception of the bleep them picks just because it was a tweet turned into a T-shirt. They really did build the Super Bowl team a lot through the draft and finding players. I mean, Aaron Donald was a first round draft pick and is one of the most important players there. Uh, But it is interesting that they become sort of this beacon for teams pushing the chips to the middle of the table. And the Vikings did do this last year. They brought back Patrick Peterson, Zedarius Smith. They trade for TJ Hawkinson in the deadline. And I think it's interesting because the Rams are the team that everyone's going to look at and say, hey, that year with the Rams, they went and got Odell Beckham, Von Miller. But as then Buffalo tried to get Von Miller, that didn't really work out. It's it's kind of an outlier situation that really worked for that team and they won the Super Bowl and they never have to give it back. But at the same time, it's not like something you would tell everybody else to do.
1: Yeah, it's they definitely went about building the house with a very different blueprint. And if if you look at contractors and they have like, this is how we build blueprints, this is how we do trek homes. They were the the dreamer that did something very different and made the first Lincoln Log home or something. Or and we'll see if it ever catches on. Like you said, some teams have kind of taken it, you know. With the Vikings, you guys, I feel like, could either be called the Los Angeles Vikings or the Minnesota Trojans, whatever you want, because you got kind of blends there, obviously, with Kevin O'Connell. But yeah, it's a model that worked for them. They still kind of are abiding by that. Now, a lot of people, not to go too deep, because obviously we'll focus more on, on your team, the Vikings, but a lot of people will see this offseason as, uh, well, now the Pied Pipers come to take its due, and they had to release everybody and cut all this cap, and they have like 76 million. I think they have more in dead money than they're actually paying roster players. Um, and it certainly looks like that. Now this season could be an absolute disaster. They win three games and then it'll prove everyone right. I'm of the belief that they're more in a remodel year instead of a, a re, you know, rebuild year, like so many people like to say, if we're going back to the home, home analogy there. Um and and so they kept their three core with Stafford, Aaron Donald, and Cooper Cup. And if you look at around the league, like if a team, if you have three core players, that's kind of what you want to start with. And they they've decided to really go with a lot of youth. And and they've brought in coaches that can mentor. When you look at the defensive staff, Raheem Morris, great teacher, great coach. Obviously, he's been there now for three years. They added Jimmy Lake, formerly of Washington. I know not a great 10 years a head coach at Washington, but a phenomenal secondary coach. They've added him as an assistant head coach on defense, but to also coach up their very, very young secondary that is without Jalen Ramsey now. And so you look at just kind of the way the, the staff has been formed this off season, and then what they've done in free agency. And then obviously adding these 38 rookies, they're kind of taking the approach of, A, we're going to teach and mentor and get back to what made us love football, which Sean McVay has said many times he was kind of burnt out after last year. And B, we believe that, the NFC outside of the Eagles outside of probably the Vikings and outside of the, you know, the Niners to have quarterback question marks, like we can still make some noise. Cause we got the best defensive player in football. We have the only quarterback in the entire NFC with a ring and Matthew Stafford, and we still have our head coach. So we'll see. It could blow up in their faces, but if it does, then maybe they'll just get Caleb Williams in 2024. So <laughs> I'm not sure I would say
0: outside of the Vikings to sure. tell you the truth. They're going to have to prove that to me uh, because I'm, um, you know, this year is it's one of those show be respectful. <laughs> they, well, they won 13 games and it's a very weird 13 games to talk about because when you win 13 games, but have a negative point di- differential and lose in the first mm-hmm. round, it's hard to be like, yeah, they'll just run it back and do that again. But wait a minute. Is that a good thing to run back and do again? Uh, and, and for a lot of intents and purposes, they are running it back with the same quarterback Thielen is gone. Kendrick's is gone, but Harrison Smith is still here. There's moving parts with Brian Flores, but I, I, it's like, if you're ranking the teams in the NFC for who's the most dangerous, who you're the most scared of. I think that the Vikings probably end up like fifth or sixth, which is kind yeah. of where they always go into every season ranking that way. And I think, But I do think that Los Angeles and the Rams, because this is a team that I think the Vikings and Rams could be battling for playoff spots this year if Matthew Stafford remains healthy. But it's also so interesting to talk about the all-in thing and what's happened since and how, and I'm sure you guys talk about this from time to time. Like if the guy catches the interception, right? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, San Francisco, it's just so much different of a conversation about the Rams. It's they went all in. They failed. It didn't work because that's what's really been the conversation here for years with Kirk Cousins coming off the NFC championship appearance was they pushed the chips in the middle of the table with Kirk. Every offseason was Phil needs, Phil needs, Phil needs. They panicked and they you know came up short so many times. And I just think about how like razor thin it is between being a team that everyone talks about. Hey, those Rams, we should do what they did. And can you believe how dumb those Rams were? It's really remarkable to think about how, how, how like small that line is.
1: Oh, it's extremely razor thin, a tightrope, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, it could be a very different conversation, but I'm always the, the glass glass half full approach. And I look at it as, you know, you look at a lot of things in sports and you that same conversation, right? If, if Ryan Tannehill doesn't, throw three interceptions in that playoff and Cincinnati's kicker goes four for four, then we're not talking about Joe Burrow as the great young QB that he is going on that run. Um, If, you know, the tuck rule and Tom Brady, maybe that dynasty never starts if, if Charles Woodson ends up getting that fumble in that game. So, but the difference is, and what you're alluding to is, those were still teams constructed in a normal fashion. Whereas the Rams did something so different that if they had that failure, it would be seen as a colossal failure because they didn't set themselves up for the future. They set themselves up essentially for that one or two year window. So to your point, absolutely things had to go their way in sports. As you know, as I'm sure is in your book a little bit, there's an, there's analytics, but also there's gotta be some luck involved in order for you to win the big one. And the Rams certainly had that. And you know, that tart dropped interception was one, but what I always say is Jalen Ramsey also dropped an interception, the possession before that in the red zone, they could have put the Rams up. So you never, Oh, you could
0: go back a hundred times and look, look, no one knows this better than Vikings fans, right? Of (laughs) All the, like, what if this went that way? And um, we did an entire show, I think a summer ago about whether we could prove that the Vikings are cursed. And the best argument was, that the odds of all these things going wrong for them are almost impossible. There's no other team you can find who had two quarterbacks have their knees fall apart and like ruin where the franchise was at that time or Gary Anderson Mm -hmm. made every kick or, you know, all the things we could talk about. So certainly, but that's my thing is like, you don't have to give it back. I mean, they certainly earned it. And look, Matthew Stafford had to make one of the all-time great throws in NFL history and lead one of the all-time great drives to win it. So they earned it. It's just interesting to think about like with the Vikings last season, you're trading for TJ Hawkinson with Mm -hmm. kind of this idea of like, look, the NFC is weak. We need to kind of push the chips to the middle of the table, take this shot, add this extra weapon. And then you get to now and you go, Okay, well, if Hawkinson doesn't sign an extension and you just did that for half a season, like, was that the good thing to do? So I'm always thinking about that. And Mm -hmm. the Rams are sort of at the top of that list. But let's talk about let's talk about Jordan Addison, because um, everybody has figured out by now on the show how much I liked the pick and had been sort of uh, on Jordan Addison as a potential player for them. It's really the first time this has happened for me, so I have to keep bringing it up where I (laughs) picked the guy in mock drafts and draft simulations who they actually picked. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, no, I mean, I I watch a lot. I'm a Pac-12 after dark guy, so I stay up late, watch those games. He impressed me so many times, but you would have watched him closer than me and, and know him better than me. So what are the Vikings getting in Jordan Addison?
1: yeah you know i obviously cover all four allied teams but i'm at i cover usc probably the most up close and personal at practices and at games and was at the pac-12 title game and um which he didn't play in but addison i mean this is a home run pick first of all i I don't know if there's a better fit in the nfl he could have fit anywhere but the best fit for me was minnesota just being able to line up alongside justin jefferson the style i know there's different opinions on kirk cousins but the style of quarterback he is i feel like just fits really well with addison does well which is you know he's a route running tactician he's faster than he looks and i know he ran a 449 at the combine but i mean just put on the stanford tape he was blowing by guys had a 75 yard touchdown uh where he broke free over the top and then also broke a tackle after the catch so definitely has elusive speed um he's bigger than people give him credit for i think he's listed at like six one six foot 175 or something but i think he'll play in around 185 190 um so he has good enough size but you know, it's just, and he's just a competitor i mean when he came to usc we talked to him at um at uh usc media day and you could tell he was definitely happy to be at usc and i don't want this to get misconstrued or misquoted at all he was happy to be at usc but his singular goal was the nfl like that was, and USC gave him the best opportunity to get to where he wanted the NFL, even though he just won the Blitnikoff the year prior at Pitt with, you know, Kenny Pickett there. But he knew his projection at USC would push him even higher, obviously, being with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams certainly helps that. But yeah, you just could feel it from him. And I'm, you guys will see in the interviews, he's very kind of short and to the point and dry, but he's just professional. You ask him a question, he's not going to sugarcoat things. He's not going to, Give you a nice, like, very kind-hearted two-minute answer, but he's just going to tell you straight up, "Hey, what happened to this play? Oh, we ran the wrong route." It, it, some people see it as rude, if you will. I saw it as this is a guy that's just—he's just there for business. He's just a businessman. He's there to play football, there to compete, and he did it on the field. He was a great teammate, uh, great in practice. So, I mean, the Vikings to me, this was an absolute home run pick for you guys, and and couldn't be a better fit for him uh, with that offense
0: there have been a few players that I've covered along the way uh, and who like end answers before you think, and they catch you off guard. And like, that's him first right. <laughs> Smith did this. So he'll start talking and you're like, okay, okay. And then he'll just kind of like, now I'm done saying anything about that. And you're like, Oh, uh, okay. On to the next question. So maybe, yeah. maybe he'll develop that in the NFL. Like, uh, finishing his third or fourth sentence, but all rookies and all young players, I think before they get totally comfortable talking to the media, they kind of don't know how to navigate that yet. Not a red flag in in my world. Yes. But I, I did pick up on the same thing from you that this seems like a guy from the time he left high school who just had NFL on his mind and who Mm -hmm. knew that he could do it and who has got a supreme confidence about him but I didn't get arrogance from him. Um, I, it just seemed like he's somebody that is kind of an all football guy that all of these coaches always are looking for, right? I mean, uh, it's good to be well rounded in life, but sometimes in football, you have to be all about football. And I really like that he talked about kind of obsessing over Stefan Diggs and how Diggs runs his routes and studying receivers and things like that. Uh, it takes a ton of dedication to be good at this, especially at route running. And this guy is like, in my mind, he was the best route runner of all of those first round picks who were kind of taken in the same area.
1: 100%. And it's such a lost art, right? Uh, route running. And we talk about it every year at draft time, but it's like, who really is a good route runner? I mean, I find myself, obviously, I was not very good, but I played receiver in high school. The only thing that kept me on the field was my route running. I mean, I'm 5'7, you know, 165 wet. So I, I wasn't bringing much athletically to the table, but I could run routes. And when you look at, the NFL today, even some of the greatest receivers are not great route runners. And so if you're a good athletic receiver and you can run routes, when you look at the likes of Cooper cup, Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, who just like these guys that just create space, whether it's on the sideline, the open field in the backfield, whatever it may be, because they're out running, that just opens up another level of the playbook. And especially what made Jordan Addison, I think, so dynamic and what will make him so much fun to watch in this Vikings offense. Cause I can already picture what Kevin O'Connell coach O'Connell can do is, um, in the goal line situation. And everyone wants to talk about his speed, what he's like in space, if he can play slot or inside. But when you think about that first and goal from the five to seven, or even the seven yard in, and he can put people in like a washing machine at the goal line and be wide open at the pylon. That's, I think where people get excited. And the fact that you have two options with him and Jefferson and obviously Hawkinson at tight end. So that is where I think he'll really make his, his, his name felt as a rookie is at that goal line. And then obviously as they open things up and in the intermediate game and what he can do in yak. Um, but yeah, the route running is what separates them for me too. So me and you are definitely in agreement there.
0: Well, and I think, I mean, with Adam Thielen being gone, that was really his role was everyone's giving attention to Justin Jefferson. And then Thielen would get open in the red zone and ended up uh, fantasy owners really enjoyed that for a while. And I think Addison could be the same thing. And I think it was 25 touchdowns in two years over the last two seasons. But give me, give me the concern. There's gotta be a concern here. I, I mean, I do think, so you mentioned that he could put on some weight and I think that's true but I did kind of like my eyes popped open a little bit when I first saw him like, Oh, this guy is very skinny. Like, you know, you've been around the NFL dudes. They are jacked. I mean, they have popcorn muscles most of the time. Even the wide receivers are pretty jacked. I think that either there has to be muscle that's put on, or it's going to have to be some craftiness from Kevin O'Connell, which I think is probably the answer here. But what's like? What's the downside? Like, why would Jordan Addison not be a top ten receiver as opposed to the twenty third pick?
1: Yeah, I mean, you said it. It's got to be the size, and and I spoke very. I, I said before, I'm glass half full, so I you know I think he can put on weight. Um, but obviously, banged up last year at USC, here and there, missed some games, missed the end of the season um at the end of the season was more just prepping for the draft i think it was more uh just to stay healthy for for this process since that's been his goal but missed you know obviously a good middle portion of the season um and so that i think would be the concern what he needs to do is obviously take notes from a guy like devonta smith you know with philly who has become a very nice young player, that was his biggest concern, right? He was still drafted very early, but the, it was the size. I mean, that dude is literally a stick out there. You wonder how he doesn't just lose his head after getting one hit over the middle. So I think schematically they'll have to do things to be smart with him, um, but also just learning your body. And he did this fairly well at SC. I look back to the UCLA game. Um, when did not take a hit, how to avoid hits over the middle, how to you know go out of bounds at the right time. And in the NFL, obviously, that's just compounded because of how much bigger and stronger and faster the rest of the defenders are. So, to your point, if there is a concern, I mean, it, let's be real. If this guy was 6'3, 210, this, he would have been a top 10 pick. So, I think the reason why I fell to 24, I think it was, was because it's, you know, he's 5'11, 175. Um, because I don't have any concerns with his catching, with his speed, with his route running, with his um, personality, anything like that. It definitely would be the size that hopefully they can get beyond and you know we've seen a lot of 5'11 six foot guys have a lot of success so we'll see
0: yeah I think that every one of these wide receivers had that one thing that kind of held them back from being that like they all had talent uh Quentin Johnston who I really liked you really liked but if you tell me that he didn't go up and moss people you're absolutely right and uh Smith Najigbo was mostly a slot receiver like every guy kind of had his one wart Uh, that allowed them to drop but I also think we've seen a lot of guys that have some shortcoming end up working out in the NFL so we'll kind of see how that plays out and if he is wide receiver two or three to start the season is it going to be him or is it going to be KJ Osborne how does he work into the whole mix so there's a lot to follow along now a guy that was uh, I want to say as controversial as a late third round pick can be within the fan base and uh, I think some of this was People want something on draft night to get jacked up about and to maybe debate and things. But Makai Blackman, I don't know if you thought he was going to be that this high of a draft pick. I know that the mock drafters did not think he was going to be Mm -hmm. this high of a draft pick. But I'm intrigued because I, I look at his PFF kind of profile, man coverage, zone coverage, tackling, coverage grade, and I know he's 24. So this probably helped him. But across the board, he scored really high in different coverages, good as a tackler. I think they see him as a nickel corner. Like, give me your view on Makai Blackman.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I was thrilled for Makai. Great young kid. You know, he's transferred twice. Started up up in San Mateo, California. Then he went to Colorado. You know, got like an extra COVID year while there. Redshirt one year. Had some injuries. And then, obviously, transferred to USC last year. So, I was absolutely thrilled for him and his journey. I was definitely surprised he went that early Um, and not because he's a bad player by any means, just because there's not a lot of a, there's not a lot of great tape because of the injuries that followed him. And then B USC's defense overall was just so terrible last year. Now, that being said, he was one of the few bright spots in the defense. You basically had truly, truly Peloto, you had him and Kalen Bullock. We're like your three bright spots of the whole defense. So he definitely was one of those top players. Definitely. In my opinion, a much better man corner. He's extremely aggressive in you know in press man and so if you want a guy that's going to lock a guy down at the line of scrimmage and now we'll see how that translates the nfl obviously officials are more flag happy in the nfl so we'll see if he gets holding calls early on or whatnot um but definitely is very physical strong um and and can run really with any of the best uh, size of receivers out there. Uh, it can definitely play zone um, Grinch's system. Alex Grinch, that is for USC runs a very complicated system. It's a real mix of man and zone. And I think that's why they struggled last year is just, they had so many new bodies and it was a brand new system. And it was like, guys just thinking all the time instead of just playing. And, and so I think he can do both, but with man, right. There's less thinking. You're just like, this is my guy. I'm locking you down. I'm taking you for a ride. And he was very good at that. And he had, I think three interceptions or so. We had like 12, passes defense. So statistically, you know, I think he finished all pack 12 uh, third, all, all American. So, I mean, really he is a, he's a good draft pick. In my opinion, he's just a little more raw for maybe what people want to see as a third round um, pick. But at the end of the day, I mean, we've seen raw guys, get developed well and and do good things. And he is older, as you mentioned, too. I mean, having a longer collegiate career, so he has a lot of at least tread that he's in a lot of different systems he had to work through. So I think he'll learn quickly and and be able to get up to speed very quickly in this Brian Flores defense, who uh, I think, fits him very well so if you look at addison as a perfect fit on offense the system i think fits blackman very well as as well with with what flores wants to do there so it should be fun so to answer your question shortly i think it was probably a little high i'm thrilled for him as a young man and and the guy he is and the character he is um but i think over time vikings fans will learn to like this guy just because of what he brings now last thing i'll say he does have the the option to get burned because of how aggressive he plays. And so it depends how often they're going to play too high shell or whatever to kind of cover his back. Or if he does more nickel, like you, you alluded to. So that's the one thing to watch for, but just him as a physical corner, athletic and, and smart. I mean, they definitely got a good one in him.
0: Yeah. I I definitely think also when we're talking about someone who's drafted at the very last pick of the third round, like we have to kind of manage what our expectations are. I mean, when Mm -hmm. you draft a player Everybody makes out their depth chart and they put in all the draft picks, like starting or direct backup (laughs) or something. And you know, sometimes that takes a couple of years before it happens. And cornerback is a position that usually does not come along quickly. But I think that there's a projection there for him to be a nickel corner, which has become extremely important. And, And you would know this, I mean, with the Rams, like nickel roby coleman for years that was kind of the Mm -hmm. comparison i made for someone who's he's not quite as short as roby coleman but still like undersized but super aggressive kind of a kind of a baller guy that wants to go out and get it but even he when he was in buffalo like at first he started off as a situational player developed developed and finally became a consistent role player who nobody was like wanting his autograph or something after practice you want aaron donald's but you need solid players. So I guess I look at the pick as it's not going to blow anybody's socks off, but it was the last pick of the third round. I guess the only other criticism would be that they traded down, but they mm. needed to do that to pick up some extra capital. But I kind of see him as like, if he becomes a nickel corner for you, that's a pretty big win.
1: Oh, hundred percent. And you know, we all, we all do this. We all fall victim to this. That's why we do what we do. and And that's why people watch what we say, but it's like, there's this, paralysis by over analysis but also this this instant reaction society that hey as soon as the pick we have to have our grades and have to say projected what this is going to be whereas three years from now if makai blackman is playing at a bryce callahan like level who bryce callahan went, went undrafted and became one of the premier kind of slot nickel corners in the game for for a number of years three years from now if he's doing that like who cares if he was a first round pick a seventh round pick an undraft round pick it's like hey this dude's on our team and it makes our gm look smart so we have to do what we do. We have to analyze, right. But uh third round at the time might seem rich, but Hey, if in three years, this guy's starting, then that's a phenomenal So You don't care where he went as long as he's on the field uh, producing.
0: Okay. Two more quick things. Uh, listeners to this show wanted Dorian Thompson Robinson. What did you kind of make of where he got drafted? And, and were you a Thompson Robinson truther?
1: I love DTR. Uh, it would have been fun if he went to Minnesota. He's, you know, it's it's so odd saying this because he was literally started outside of a couple games missed by injury, but started almost every game five years at UCLA. From a true freshman, played five years. So going into his freshman year, played literally no high school ball. Um, was a backup uh, at Bishop Gorman, and and then came in very raw into college, where then kind of Chip Kelly molded him and built him up. Um, as a as a leader and as a competitor, you'll find no one better. We always compare him to the Russell Russbrook of football, just that raw passion and emotion. Um, I'm, not just, I'm not saying the skill exactly, but just like the demeanor that they play on the field. Like he is just so raw, passionate, his love for the game, his leadership. Uh, you know, he's a gifted passer. Obviously everyone knows how athletically gifted he is. Um, I, 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 Will he be a starter one day? I don't know. I, I don't know if he's quite – I don't want to say this like he's a, he's a very smart I'm not saying he's not smart but his decision making is the thing that kind of has kept him back even in his last year where you cut the interceptions down substantially it was still like his progressions were not quite there yet to make you a true elite NFL level quarterback and usually after five years if you're still not going through your progressions quickly that's not something that just like happens in the NFL <laughs> that's usually a, a tell um but you know, he's gotten better every single year. So who's to say he can't? Now, to answer your question about his, his fit with Cleveland, like as a DTR fan and as we all, we're not going to get into it. But as everyone knows about Deshaun Watson's off the field stuff, nothing would make me happier if in two years they eat that contract and DTR is starting in Cleveland. So uh, he certainly fits with Stefanski and fits behind Deshaun, though, in terms of just how they play and their play style.
0: Well, right. And you know, Stefanski is going to want to run bootlegs and things like that and play actions, which I think Deshaun Watson maybe struggled with last year Mm -hmm. adjusting, but for a quarterback that if he does struggle with reads, that's kind of one easy hack to make it easier for him. I was always in the camp on him of, look, I really enjoyed watching him play. Pac-12 after dark all day. Loved Mm -hmm. watching this guy play. Super fun, super passionate. But when you are 6'1, 200 pounds at the quarterback position, and you aren't a freak in any other way, you're not a 4'3, you're not like mm. Russell Wilson freak arms and hands and muscles. It's pretty tough. It's pretty tough to stay healthy. It's pretty tough to make it. Like, he doesn't have a cannon. He's got a good arm, but not a cannon. Like, all those things to me said, like, this guy could be a nice career backup. I think the same of Jaron Hall that the Vikings picked. But if they had picked him, it would have been like, oh, okay, I'm fine with it. I wouldn't put any expectations on the guy, but I know that everybody from UCLA absolutely love the kid. And uh, I'm not surprised that that you did as well. And I think also uh, uh, people would be interested in where Eric Kendricks fits in to the Los Angeles chargers, because this was a chargers defense that improved, I think last year from the first year that Staley took over, but still needs help. Right. So Mm -hmm. where does Kendricks kind of fit into that mix?
1: yeah well, funny ask, obviously, you came on my show to talk about Eric Kendricks when they first signed him. Um, and I love the pickup, obviously, UCLA alum. he's la royalty out here, so it's great. you know, I loved watching his career at Minnesota. I would hope uh, Viking fans, regardless of him leaving, will see him as a as a Viking for life and whatnot because of obviously the career he had there. But I think it's a great gift for the for the chargers. The interesting thing, Matt is, you know they They had a guy in Drew Tranquil who kind of had a a true breakout year last year at that middle linebacker, him and Kenneth Murray, who they took in the first round a few years back. But Drew Tranquil outside of Derwin James was like the heartbeat of the defense. I mean, emotionally, statistically, all those things. I mean, he was the guy and they decided now there's been a bunch of different speculation. Was he offered an extension? Was he not? And, And that's all hearsay and there's conflicting reports and whatnot, but they decided essentially without re signing him to go in the direction of Eric Hendricks. And what I think, and you kind of alluded to this when you broke it down, what Eric Hendricks does so well is he's going to bring a different dynamic that Drew Tranquil necessarily wasn't, and also a veteran presence and leadership that I think this defense really needs. Because the biggest thing about this Chargers defense, you alluded to it perfectly, is they improved year over year, but still weren't great especially with the talent they had, especially with the mind that Brandon Staley is. And the thing we've talked about a lot on our show is at some point, at some point when you look at X's and O's and schematically, when you look at the Chargers and you really break down the film, they were not a problem schematically. It was a problem more of the execution of it. Like it was a problem more of the onus of players taking it on themselves and taking responsibility of what their job was, what their role was. And what's funny is when Derwin James was out for a considerable amount of time with an injury, the defense actually played better. And it's almost like they were relying on the greatness of a guy like Derwin James to kind of carry them as opposed to just doing their job and doing their schematic fit. And so I think a guy like Eric Hendricks coming in, all the greatness he brings in physicality, the speed that he still has at his age. You mentioned that he's actually really good in pass rush, just wasn't maybe in the – correct scheme schematically last year which i think they'll use him a lot this year in Staley's scheme but i think it's more of the leadership of why they're having it, of keeping guys accountable doing their job because schematically if you look at the film guys were in the right places they were just missing tackles i mean you look at nick chubb ran all over them it wasn't because he was having gaping wide open holes he was breaking four tackles and guys weren't wrapping up so when you have a guy like kendrick's that has been there done that he's going to hold hold guys accountable and he's going to make them do their job when the coach can Coach, right? But if he's not out there making the tackles, so I think that's really what he's going to bring on top of all the the giftedness that he has, even at his age. And uh, maybe he's lost a step here and there, but I think that the leadership is really why they wanted him here, which is why I love the the addition and it's going to be a great great season. Hopefully, here in LA with him.
0: Well, and I also think when you're trying to take a step from a good team to a great team, these are the players that you need. I mean, you see almost every team that makes it kind of do things like this. And he does have something left in the tank. I believe that. I just think that their scheme last year was as horrendous of a fit for him as you could have found. And I thought it was really telling that when I asked him at the end of the year, like, what did you make of kind of the defensive scheme and how it fit with you and everything? He just said – the Giants scored more points than us and we lost. And I wish we didn't, you know, like he just, he did not want to talk about that, but I, you know, I've covered him long enough. I knew kind of what he was trying to say. And I think that everybody, because they were winning games, didn't want to come out and say the quiet part out loud, that the scheme was Mm -hmm. a horrible fit for some of their most important players, him and Harrison Smith. So I think it will fit a lot better. And I mean, that guy is like you said, royalty in Los Angeles, but also one of the best leaders I've ever covered that's exactly the type of person that you need for that team. I know I said that was the last question, but it popped into my mind that once upon a time, the Chargers went into a season where it was probably going to be the last for Phillip Rivers. And then mm-hmm. they did not know what their quarterback future was going to be. That sort of describes the Vikings. Can you just t- like take me back to the end of that before they draft Herbert, which obviously turns out to be a marvelous Pick for him, and if if they were in the NFC, they would be like the best team in the NFC just by having Justin Herbert. But I I feel like it would have been a very similar uncertain feeling as the Vikings are dealing with right now, and we're talking about potentially drafting a quarterback next year, or do you extend? How long do you want it to go? It must have been difficult for that team to move on from somebody that they knew could still play, as he showed with the Colts. But it was just mm-hmm. sort of time.
1: Yeah. It was so interesting because in 2018, right, they, I can't remember their, I think they, they won 12 games, but they went to the playoffs with Phillip. They beat the Ravens in the first round. Um They ended up getting blown out the second round by the Patriots, but it was like, okay, this, and that was their, you know, one of their first, I think it was their second year in LA. So it was like, they were trying to make a name for themselves in LA. Uh, Phillip Rivers was obviously a San Diego guy being there his whole career, but they make the playoffs right off the bat. The Rams were, were, you know, not quite well they were they were good but the, both teams were in the playoffs and the very next year is when they you know went i think five wins or something like that and so it was at that time that it started feeling like okay can they ever reach that pinnacle again with philip rivers at their age um with his contract with what the pieces they need or do they need to go with this high of a draft pick which who knows when that comes again being sixth overall after a pretty good quarterback class in general, you know, at the time, at the time Tua was seen as number one. And then obviously Burrow went on his run and then Herbert kind of started sneaking into the conversation of top three also. And so it's like, are we ever going to have this type of class again with this high draft capital without having to trade up that we are set then for again for the next 15 to 20 years. So it was, it was definitely interesting, but the writing was on the wall when the season went South. Philip knew of it. I mean, if you saw the end of the season presser without him saying he was, he was done, like everyone knew it was his final game as a charger. And, and so for the Vikings, what makes it interesting is like, if they're, if they make the playoffs this year, what do you do? Right. I mean, if, if they win four games, I think it's like, okay, look at this quarterback class, you know what you got to do, but if they win 12, 11, 13 games again, you know, they're going to be drafting at the back end of the round. Do you trade up? Do you are you consistent? So it's a tough spot to be in. The Chargers made it easier because they were just so bad that year and they had the sixth overall pick. So they kind of made the decision for them in order to set themselves up to the future. So not a great answer to your question, but it was definitely an interesting time. Um obviously I think they made the right decision because you got a guy like Justin Herbert now as a top six, you know, top three arm, top six quarterback in the league. And uh yeah, you you can't complain with that, even with Phillip maybe having a year or two left in the tank.
0: No, I think that's really great context because it's always good to move on one year early rather than Mm -hmm. one or two years late. And I I thought that they handled it brilliantly. And the thing is that I've been calling it is the natural tank where you go into a season thinking you're going to be fine. And if I remember that five win season, they lost like every game by one score, which is basically the opposite of what happened to the Vikings last year. (laughs) And even if you adjust for like, oh, this team scored at the end to make it a one score game. The Vikings, if you switched everything around, even games that were not like that, you know, they could have just as easily won seven last year yeah. or won six last year. If that happens to them, it could be to their long-term benefit. And the Chargers are a team I'm going to point at and be like, look, the natural tank is okay. It's okay yeah. if everything goes wrong for your team. It'll be painful, but um, that might be what they need to get a future quarterback. But you're you're spot on in saying that if they win 11 games, what are you supposed to do about – are you supposed to pay Kirk? What if you're eliminating the first round again, right? Kirk mm-hmm. Cousins, here's a crazy stat for you, and I'll let you go because i go on for this all night. But, like, it's great. Kirk Cousins has made in cash in his career $230 <laughs> million dollars, and has one playoff win. Yep. I, I mean – you just can't keep doing that, right? So, uh, there there are in a fascinating spot that I think would have been very similar to the Chargers going into Rivers' final season. And there's maybe even some comps there with those two as quarterbacks. Though I'd say Rivers in his peak is like much better, but like late mm-hmm. career, eight and eight yeah. Rivers. Um, so anyway, uh, but we could just talk ball all night. I really appreciate all the context from you, Ryan Dirude L A F B. Not hard to find on Twitter um, and just LA football network. Super cool. Like, I love that you did this to cover all of these teams. Uh, it's great stuff. And I mentioned, I follow you on Twitter, so people should go do that as well. Um, and, and follow your work out there, but thanks, man. I'm glad that I could come on your show. You come on mine and we'll just, we'll keep on doing this. So appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I uh, really do appreciate it. And, you know, I, I don't just say this. I say it off air, too, but you are one of the best. I love uh, what you do out there. And obviously Vikings fans should be very thankful. And congrats again on the book. And we'll definitely catch up more football all throughout the offseason and enter the season, though. Appreciate it. Thanks oh, for having me on.
0: You You mean the book that pre-order is available now on Amazon, football is eno- – I'm just going to be the worst with this. And, I almost
1: you know, the, I almost feel bad. Guy. like If you – I feel bad because I didn't even ask you. You may have had this like planned like release and I just ruined it by just dropping it. Oh, congrats by the way. And you're like, Oh, great. Now I got to Now I got to plug it. <laughs> so my bad. A, I already
0: did the Twitter thing. I already did the self-promotion Twitter thing. We did a video where I like had a little banner show up near my head. Like, I mean, I'm okay. just, I'm just that guy. So yeah, if any of you should be, if there's a, any fans of the show, the critic, if you've ever seen that, there's a scene where he just says like, buy my book, buy my book. But that's me now, essentially, for months, so everybody can get used to it. But anyway, uh, Ryan, thanks again, man. And uh, we will definitely talk again soon.
1: Yes, thanks, brother.